Pick your cup in the scriptures. Turn back to Psalm 44. Continue the remainder of that psalm. Psalm 44, starting verse 17. But before we go to the Lord and hear from him once more, let's ask, go to him in prayer and ask the blessing on the preaching and reception of that let's pray together my gracious heavenly father we come again before you we thank you that you've come to us in the power of your holy spirit and enable us to praise you and give ourselves to you we pray now as we seek your face and your word seek to listen to the preaching of our lord jesus christ we pray that you would send your holy spirit to us afresh that we might not merely come as tasters, but as children who are hungry and long to feed upon every word that you have to say to us. We pray for grace, Lord, that we may sit under your word, that we may listen to your voice, that it would break through our callous hearts and by your gracious love and your passion transform us into the likeness of Jesus. So we pray that you would, by your word and through your spirit, do us good as we come for your counsel and for your presence minister to us we pray according to the wide variety of our needs you know dear lord but bring every one of us we pray to see that you have provided all that we need in christ jesus our lord that we may come to him and find our all in him we pray this all for his glory and for our good in christ's name and all god's people said amen Psalm 44, starting verse 17. This is the word of God. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. We have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God, or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. So for the reading of God's word, grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord indeed endures forever. <clears throat> well, I wonder if you've ever been in a with family or friends in a conversation, talking about the past, reflecting on things of old, your experiences in life, uh, <clears throat> the good times, and then someone brings up a really bad time or event, a terrible thing, the ugliness, uh, the joyful conversation turns ugly, it turns into a disaster. Or if you ever experienced something like that and you wonder, how did that happen? But what went wrong? They're sharing, sharing such joyful memories. That's not what I expected. How did this turn so negative? This is something of what we have in Psalm 44 as we continue on in this 
kind of mini-series um, of the Sons of Korah versus, I'm sorry, Psalm 42 to 49, or this mini-section or series of psalms by the Sons of Korah. Uh, they, of course, as we know uh, from our history, they were descendants of Korah. Korah was uh, the son of one of the original tribesmen of Levi, of Israel, uh, Levi, that is. And remember, Levi was of the line of the priest, but his descendants, Korah, <clears throat> led a rebellion against the authority of Moses and Aaron, the leadership at the time, through the wilderness, and he was put to death, remember. The Lord spoke, and the earth opened, and then they went. But the sons of Korah were spared. The sons of the condemned men were spared by the Lord. And later under David, the sons of Korah were tasked, remember, with being singers uh, at the temple and then later uh, at the tabernacle, and then the tabernacle and then later in the temple. And like Psalm 42 and 43, this single unit, we saw last week, Psalm 44 deals with similarly this feeling of spiritual depression because of separation from the Lord, separation from God. In the movement of this psalm, Psalm 44 goes from uh, past to present to future. It goes from the faith of the people to the faithfulness of their God, their covenant Lord Yahweh, and their appeal to this, to his steadfast love. Uh, and we see in the psalm three stanzas, if you will, as we saw last week. Uh, and that is, the first stanza deals with doxology, the praise, the celebration of uh, the psalmist, and then the disorientation. They're disoriented within themselves. And then finally, the last stanza is they're crying out to God. Right, so it's doxology versus 1 to 8, disorientation versus 9 to 22, and then this crying out, calling out to the Lord in verses 23 to 26. The first stanza, doxology. The psalm doesn't begin with sadness or negativity, or spoiled delight. It begins with doxology. We read in verse 1 about that, uh, that, that, that obligation, that duty, that trust of passing on the faith from one generation to the next. Right? It says, Oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in days of old. Right? So I don't know how often or how serious you parents have thought about this in your own lives, this duty, this, this delightful doxological duty that you have as parents. Right? We must pass down our experiences, what we've seen of the Lord's faithfulness, his love, his might, his provision, and so forth, on to our children. All that he's done in one generation, we must pass it on to the ears of the next. This is part of our catechizing our children, teaching them. It's one of the duties and delights that we have as parents in this Christian life. Many of you are likely thinking of that verse in Deuteronomy, which commands this very thing. Remember Deuteronomy 6? We read where the Lord commanded the Israelites to teach their children the words and works of the Lord. In Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you arise. This isn't something new even here in Deuteronomy. Even earlier than that, we see this commanded. The institution of the Passover, you recall in Exodus. You shall tell your, child, your son on that day 
It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And he goes on, and when the time, when is the time to come, your son and ask, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by the strong hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. So our teaching, catechesis, catechism. So that means it's restated also in the New Testament, remember, in Ephesians. Uh, chapter 1, or Ephesians, right? When, when Paul, the Apostle Paul tells the fathers, remember, instruct your children in the Lord, right? In Ephesians. And what did the fathers experience and tell of in Psalm 44? Notice the way verses 2 and 3 set up this, this, this triplet of truths, this three sets of truths, truths that the Lord did for their forefathers. It says, in the days of old, <clears throat> Psalm, uh, verse 1, in the days of old, then verse 2, you with your own hand drove out the nations, but them, that is our fathers, you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them, our fathers, you, uh, you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did, they, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them, right? that is their fathers. They're testifying of the truth, what God did, them in the previous generation. So, so here uh, we are in the days of David with the sons of Korah, and they think back to the Old Testament history, and we ask, what is this referring to? What is this particular incident in verses 2 and 3? What are they speaking of in the Lord's mighty arm delivering them? What's the reference to? When did the Lord drive out the nations and afflict the peoples while he planted and set free his people? The song goes on. It says, for not by their own sword did they win the land. So what is this referring to? It's the conquest of the promised land, right? During the days of Joshua, they're referring back to, that they heard of, that they heard of growing up, the mighty works of the Lord. And the conquest is one example that shows us something about all of God's deeds towards his people. And that is they are all gifts of his grace. They're all gifts of his grace. A testimony to the grace of God for the people of God. And you see this in the personal pronouns in the psalm for the Lord who did all these things. And we see this contrast between Israel's arms and the Lord's arms. But notice the reason for God's grace. Why did he act graciously towards anyone? Again, verse 3 ends this way. It says, for, which means because, you delighted in them. Because you delighted in them. You did all these things because you delighted in them. So brothers and sisters, the next time you're feeling down and depressed and blue, remember the end of verse 3 of our psalm. For yourself personally, it's God's sons and God's daughters. God delights in you. He delights in you. He's gracious to you, therefore. Remember also what the psalm, psalmist is thinking in verse 4. Remembering, he breaks out into praise, a spontaneous praise. He interrupts himself, as we see Paul do frequently as well. He breaks out in praise to God who loves him. He says, you are my king, you are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Right? It's his natural response to God's love in this song, in this song. And for you too, brothers and sisters, remember what God did back then and what he's doing for us right now in our lives. We see this as he goes on, as the psalm continues in verses 5 to 7. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread 
down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. Right? And so here we have the sons of Korah. Declare what the Lord is doing for them in their battles. He's saying that the God who delighted in our fathers in the past still delights in us. Right? And this is something we have to, uh, we're confronted with. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters, in your own lives? Do you believe that? Is God still delighting in us, his people today? Well, most definitely he is. You must believe it. You must trust it. You may ask, well, how? How do we find ourselves in this psalm and what the psalm is saying? What's it saying for us now? Well, the Lord does delight in us. He does delight in us. He does it in a myriad of ways. In his protection for you physically, spiritually, and otherwise. In his provision for you spiritually, physically, and otherwise. And even in our obedience to his will and his way for us. He delights in us. And he most assuredly delights in us. And fully in Christ's work for us. By which he makes us righteous for him. Indeed, his very righteousness, he says. If you are in Christ, you are his what? Most treasured possession in Christ. So praise him, brothers and sisters, for that very thing. He delighted in you before the foundation of the world. In his decree to save you, to pluck you from the fire, as it were, from his just wrath against sin and rebellion. Oh, what an incredible Lord that we have who has done such a wonderful thing. And when we face our enemies, right, when we are faced with our enemies, what do we do? Who are our enemies? Like the world, the flesh, and the devil. What do we do when we're faced with thinking and living that is so violently and vehemently against our Lord and therefore against us? Brothers and sisters, we must always remember, be careful that we're not responding towards the individual. We're not fighting against them. Rather, what does the Holy Spirit tell us? Whom our enemy is. 2 Corinthians 10, for we walk... Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, right? The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive, the obedience of Christ. Right? We are to tread down in the, in, in, in the language of our psalm those philosophies and theologies and the spiritual forces of wickedness behind those ideas. We do so in the strength of God himself, knowing that any victory is of his grace that the Lord's doing. And so the psalmist goes from this doxology and this delight we see, and there's this turn, and he goes in verse 9 to this disorientation. He's disturbed uh, as the psalm in stanza two moves, and he goes from complete and total delight in the beginning to be disoriented. Verse nine, right, speaking of beforehand of all the Lord's works, His mighty works, and grace towards the people. Verse nine, but you have rejected us and disgraced us, and have not gone out with our armies. That's the turn there. You see, you have rejected us, disgraced us, not gone out with us. And in verse five, we read, "You have made us turn back." 
from the foe. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle. You have made us a taunt for our neighbors. You made us a byword among the nations. It's tragedy in their experience. It's tragedy and suffering, bewilderment of the people of God. And we are in our lives familiar with tragedy and violence and suffering, either from living through it, our own experience, or from history. And you've likely seen this or that pastor or other representation of the faith in interviews publicly, right, in regard to these tragedies that we see in our world. And they're confident in their declaration, God certainly isn't involved with this. He certainly has nothing to do with this or that tragedy. But is God involved in that tragedy? According to the psalmist, he is. We must affirm with Scripture that nothing is outside of God's sovereign hands. We must take Psalm 44, together with texts like Ephesians 1, that tell us that God works all things according to what? The counsel of his will. All things according to the counsel of his will. Scripture knows of no weak, impotent, impotent God. Scripture knows of no God who, is, who gets surprised. Scripture knows nothing of a God who's not in absolute control of his creation. Nothing happens by chance in this world. By chance is not a category of reality, according to Scripture. Nothing happens in this world apart from the will of God. James 1 says that God cannot himself be tempted to sin, nor that he does he tempt anyone else to sin. God is holy. He is not morally responsible for the sin that fallen sinners commit. But what did Peter say? What did Peter say of Christ's crucifixion? That most heinous tragedy, that most heinous injustice done in the world. In his sermon at Pentecost, remember what he says? He, he, he speaks of both truths, of man's guilt and of God's sovereign design. Acts 2.23 it says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It goes on. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Right? Those are both truths right there. See that? This Jesus delivered up what? According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed. And he goes on to explain the reason for this. This most violent act, this act of suffering. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the, foreknowledge, the plan and foreknowledge of God. He did it by, he put an end to the agony of death. Right? That was his purpose in all of it. And all this means, if we are to submit to God's holy word, to follow in faith, trusting what God tells us, this means that we have to stand in awe of God's mysterious workings, right? We are not God. The professor would say often, God is God and you are not. We must never forget that. We will not know all of his ways. These are a mystery to us. But we also must embrace this comforting truth that he works everything according to his plan, Ephesians 1.11. Everything according to his plan. But notice how this disorientation and confusion it's not just that God is absent from them. It's amplified because what? Because the psalmist loves God. He loves God. And so it's magnified. Verse 17, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, though we have not been false to your covenant. Our hearts 
Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us and covered us with the shadow of death. We are believers who've confessed and submitted to God's sovereignty, particularly in our church, in our tradition, right? It's something we, 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 we plant our feet on the sovereignty of God, firm that, we glory in it. But we remain mere mortals. Sinners saved by grace, yes. We still doubt and we struggle the realities of what God does in the world. And like our song expresses, our lives and our histories and our experiences cause us to struggle with what God's word says and tells us about himself and about us and his creation, even as we confess it to be true. We love God, but we see the persecution come. We love him, and he still sometimes brings tragedy into our lives. We love this Lord, but suffering, discomfort, the strains and pains of our lives in this fallen world still come through his loving hands. And that's a theology that the world cannot grasp, comprehend, or accept. But it's what God tells us. And so we must accept it. We must trust him in faith that he's working through it. Because, you know, we also believe and affirm and confess because God tells us that glorious truth in, in Romans 8, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, the good and the bad from our perception, they work for good. They don't work for comfort or pleasure or sappy happiness. All things work for good for those who love, love God. And so if you believe that, you believe that, brothers and sisters, and today with Paul rejoice in suffering. Rejoice, truly, because of trust and faith in God who gives that faith and trust and rejoicing. You cannot nor will not rejoice outside of the Holy Spirit working in you. So I implore you, brothers and sisters, to cultivate, to, to, to plead with him, to go to him for this faith, to ask him for this faith and this trust in him. And I implore you to cultivate Slow, thoughtful, still time with the Lord in his word and in prayer. Meditating on that word, getting it into you. I was speaking with a dear friend yesterday who's been plagued with crippling health issues for years. We were discussing the sad reality of so many who take scripture in the same way that they surf the internet. Skipping along, shallow, on the surface, in the lost practice of meditative, lengthy, slow time in God's word. The only thing that will change and shape. And he confessed, he said, in all of his suffering, that's been the blessing of his illness. To spend time, deep time, letting the word shape his mind and his heart, growing to have deep biblical instincts and reflexes. What a better way to live, right? What a witness. We all want to have unending time. But we all have time, right? We all have time. The truth is, we give our time to what we want to give it to. So many people know every single issue, every single political issue, and every politician, and every player on this or that team, and every record that's held by these people, or every exhaustive detail about whatever favorite kind of music they're into. It's so very little is known of God's word in comparison to those things by so many. 
will not grow in wisdom, discernment, and holiness if we will not do the hard work of biblical meditation and prayer over time. They're the very things that God has ordained to grow us, to give us strength, to shape us, to cultivate that wisdom and discernment. When we all avail ourselves to them, this hard work deeply in the scriptures. He will bless you when you do. And you'll be a blessing to others, right? Wouldn't that be amazing? Being used by the Lord to bless others and witness to his love. What an incredible thing indeed. May it be ever increasingly true for all of us indeed. And so we move on in our psalm from doxology to this, uh, this disorientation and now to stanza three, right, in, uh, starting in verse 23, where he cries out to God. He cries out in this dumbfoundedness, in this uh, disorientation, this confusion. He cries out to God. What's the answer to this dilemma that, that, that we find ourselves in, this struggle that we find ourselves in, of, 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 giving, of God giving his own children over to suffering at times? Because we see here in the psalm, like, like in Job, in the book of Job, God doesn't give an answer. He doesn't give an answer to him. But he does give a response for us. And that is crying out to him in prayer. That's the answer, at least in this circumstance. We cry out to him in this confusion. We're to cry out to him. He hears, he cares, he shapes us by it, by our crying out. But if we have answers here and now, we learn here to engage in this holy questioning. He says, awake, why are you sleeping, Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Like we cry out. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction, our oppression? Our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Right? We affirm our posture before him. And we plead with God to remember his own promises. Verse 26, rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Right? And there's that word again. I mentioned last week, steadfast love, hesed, is the word. God has promised to us, and he has promised to keep his promises. But sometimes the keeping of those promises seems so painfully slow to us. Mm. We remember we pray back God's promises to him. We pray back these psalms to him. When we're disoriented and disturbed in this life, which is a lot, if we're honest, in those circumstances, we cry out to our steadfast, loving Lord. In the midst of those times, we still will come to doxology, to praise and to worship this Lord. We're all weak and forgetful and foolish in this life, brothers and sisters. But let's always remember that the pattern of, the song, of this psalm reminds us of Christ. The eternal Son enjoyed the blessing, the blessed communion with his Father and the Spirit from all eternity. He came into this world by the direct operation of that Spirit. As a boy, he grew in wisdom and stature with man and with God. What comes next? His baptism, his temptation in his life, suffering, in his death. What happened to that glorious estate? What happened? Well, God's will happen. God's will happen. 
the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. And one more thing, and this psalm encourages us. Right? In the verse that I've, I skipped over a minute ago, the one that you all recognize from elsewhere, verse 22. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You're familiar with this verse. You know it. Paul cites this verse. Romans chapter 8, they quoted a minute ago, this, this, this glorious Romans chapter 8. He quotes this at the end. So what are you going through in your life that has you in a divine freaking out period, right? Frazzled by right now. Whatever it is, rejoice, brothers and sisters. The Lord is in control. God is yet in control. He is always in control. Rejoice. Jesus knows. He experienced it too. And he's experienced that most brutal murder and suffering so that you never will have to, ever. Our lives will be like his suffering and then glory. But rejoice, dear Christian. For in Christ there is no condemnation, ever. There will never be separation from his love. He experienced it for me. So let us go from here rejoicing in this great truth. Our God is sovereign. Our King loves us. He experienced it for us. Our lives will follow his. Glory is to come. And we flee to him again and again in faith for that love and confidence and that trust. Amen. That's great. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are indeed sovereign. As hard as it is for us to understand many of the things we go through, Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to believe that you are good and that you are working all things for our good through them. Lord, Help us trust in you who knows all things. And help us like children to trust and believe and follow and live our lives in joy. Lord, help us to rejoice in, even in our suffering. Help us to believe what you tell us, even in the hard things of life, as we've read this morning. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.